Welcome to the Become New Podcast with John Ortberg, where you'll find 10-minute teachings Monday through Friday to help you grow spiritually one day at a time. For more resources, check out our website, becomenew.com. There you can sign up for the emails that go along with each video, as well as access our entire library of over 400 videos covering a variety of topics about spiritual life and growth. If you need prayer, please let us know by texting your request to 855-888-0444. We'd love to pray for you. Now, here's John. I want to talk to you and talk to me today about money and the rich and the poor and what we will do with our lives and how our relationships impact us. And I'll tell you from the outset, this is not going to be one of those talks about how to make your life more pleasant or more enjoyable, but it is incredibly important that it gets deeply into how to live together with God, how to live in the kingdom, how to become the right kind of person, how to use my time and my resources, my relationships to do that. So I hope that you will stay with me. There's a fascinating study. It was published in a journal called Nature about a year ago, uh, 2022. For researchers who looked at economic opportunity for uh, over four decades now, increasingly the economic circumstances into which someone was born determine where they will end up. So that's kind of the opposite of opportunity. Opportunity, extending opportunity doesn't mean everybody ends up in the same place. It means everybody gets a fair shot. And that is decreasingly happening. And so the big question is why? And uh, it's been clear for a long time that people who grow up poor in some neighborhoods do a better job of advancing, progressing, entering into a better way of life than folks in other neighborhoods that are poor. But nobody really knew why. And now we know. This study actually looked at 72 million people. I don't know of another study on that scale before. They leveraged Facebook to do that. And here's what they discovered. That people who have relationships with other folks in different economic circumstances, cross-class connections, or what are sometimes called economic connections, that makes more of a difference in people's lives than school districts, than family composition, than uh, racial composition of neighborhoods. What makes the biggest single difference is If a person has relationships with other people who do have resources, who do have educations, because it puts them in touch with ideas and possibilities and hopes and goals and a way of life. One of the women that uh, they interviewed for this study grew up uh, very under-resourced, ended up becoming a lawyer. Her parents lost jobs, homes, were divorced. She said, you know, my mom talked to us about values Uh, instilled to us the need to work hard, but actually it was when I had friends and their parents were doctors or lawyers or pastors, she mentioned, and I found that they just had other ideas. They knew about things like SAT and classes to prepare for them, and I would ask them to look at the personal statements that I wrote. So it turns out that what another sociologist, Robert Putnam, calls bridging social capital Social capital is a term that's been around for more than 100 years now. A school administrator coined it as far as is known in 1916. It's having relationships with other people, having connections through which flow ideas and possibilities and opportunities. But Putnam says bridging social capital 
that is that cuts across differences so that I'm now connected with people who are different than me ethnically or culturally or economically or educationally. That makes the single biggest difference in lifting people into the possibility of opportunity. Then you ask yourself the question, what is the institution on earth? What's the movement? What is the community that is designed to create bridging social capital? And I would submit that it is this, that there was once a man, a couple of millennia ago, he grew up poor, but he has torn down the dividing wall of hostility that separates Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, and created this strange community in which now all are one in Christ Jesus. And that actually happened. And a community was born in which Slaves would be together with slave owners. If you read a book like Philemon, and uh, relationships would get formed, friendships would get made across every kind of distinction. There had never been a community like this. Now, that brings me to Dallas Willard and the Spirit of the Disciplines and you and me. Wonderful picture of how we ought to think about resources. This is from St. Anthony many centuries ago, Dallas says. Anthony put it like this, some of those who stop in inns are given beds, while others, having no beds, stretch out on the floor and sleep as soundly as those in beds. In the morning when night is over, all alike get up and leave the inn. It is the same with those who tread the path of this life. Both those who have lived in modest circumstances and those who have had wealth and fame leave this life like an inn, taking with them no worldly comforts or riches, but only what they have done in this life, whether good or bad. I think it was Randy Elkhorn who writes, life is kind of like if you go to Motel 6 to spend a couple of nights, nobody buys real expensive artwork, um, fabulously costly paintings to put up on the walls at a Motel 6 because it's a Motel 6 because you're only going to be there temporarily. And that's the way it is in this life. It's like an inn and we're all going to leave it. And so we want to use the resources that we have to be a blessing to other people. Dallas goes on. This is page 209 and following in the Spirit of the Disciplines. Here's the key. When we think about bridging social capital, what is it that makes a society a place of genuine opportunity? Only if we believe with our whole being in the equality of rich and poor before God can we walk in their midst as Jesus did unaffected in our personal relations by the distinction. Now, Dallas would often talk about how one way to think about spiritual formation is, when I believe with my whole body what I say, I believe in my head. And I might say I believe rich, poor are all equal and alike before God. But actually, when I walk amongst those who are poor, how do I respond? What happens in my body? What is my body language, the tone of my voice, the ease of the flow of my words? What does that say? Dallas goes on. How do we respond to that man sleeping in those discarded boxes? Does it take great and awkward effort even to acknowledge his presence or to speak to him if need be or to take his hand or help him with his few possessions? Are we frightened of him? though the circumstances are perfectly safe? Do we shrink from being seen near him or dealing with him? Is his smell and dirtiness alone enough to repel us from him? Or how about others not in such an extreme condition? 
Does the fact that a person is without work or an apartment or an automobile make us treat him or her as if he or she were different? If so, then we have not truly beheld our own ruined condition. And because of this, we cannot heartily love that person. It's when I come to see my own desperate neediness before God that I recognize other people are just simply needy like me. And of course, in the Bible, there are very clear statements uh, supremely from Jesus about how when we are giving to those that the world regards as the least of these, without enough money for clothing or for housing, we are in the presence of him. Or in the book of James, Dallas actually writes about this, uh, uh, how James talks about when a rich man comes into a church to give it a good seat, a lot of attention, poor man's hustled off the stand in the corner, sit on the floor. We insult the poor and fail to care for our neighbors as we would be cared for. What an indictment. Yet one hardly ever finds a church or a Christian free from knee-jerk favoritism towards those who are impressive in the world's scale of values. And when I read those words, I think mostly of me and my own failure in that regard, my own need for grace in that regard. So what do we do? We might, Dallas goes on, do some of our ordinary business in the poorer districts of our community. It may even be as simple as getting out of our cars and onto public transportation. One of the great social and economic divisions in many parts of the world is between those who must ride public transportation and those who can transport themselves. We might also do shopping, banking, even living in the poorer districts of our area to lend substance to our grasp of how the economically deprived experience their world and ours. This will add a great substance to our understanding, prayers, and caring that can never be gained by an occasional charity run. So, today, this week, you might think about where do you go to shop? Where do you go to eat? Or one other real simple thing, this coming Sunday, when you go to church, go to church and look for somebody there who looks different than you. Somebody who may not be very well-dressed, may look a little shabby. Somebody who is alone. Somebody who might not be from the same kind of education or background that you are. And go sit next to them. And talk to them. And pray for them. Bless them. And just notice in my own heart, how natural am I in this moment? What does my body tell me that I deeply believe about this person? There has never been any place like the church as Jesus designed it. And it helps us when we look at the people around us, not to look through the eyes of a world that is so consumed with status and wealth, but to have blessed second thoughts.